Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape and reform ongoing narratives. So in today's episode, we'll be reviewing the model of multiculturalism in Canada. And uh, I'm just going to start with a brief overview. So Canada is a G7 or advanced country with one of the highest number of immigrant flows from various ethno-cultural backgrounds across the world. And this process largely began in the early 1960s because Canada was facing a dire labor shortage at the time. And in response to various social and political changes, the policy framework of multiculturalism in Canada has changed over the years since their original implementation. And in the 1970s, multiculturalism was based on the idea that cultural diversity or pluralism was an important part of the nation-building process in Canada. And the government promised to preserve each ethnic community and to recognize all cultures as being equal in value. And as a result, generous government resources were allocated to different ethnic groups to preserve their language and also certain aspects of their cultures, such as dance and music. However, by the 1980s, the Canadian government ceased to provide resources to preserve ethnic cultures and more pragmatic doctrine based on economic self-sufficiency was encouraged. And during the 1990s, the, the focus of multicultural policy shifted towards addressing the so-called ghettoization of certain ethnic groups in an attempt to minimize what later became known as ethnic hyphening, such as Polish-Canadian or Italian-Canadian or Jamaican-Canadian. And the aim was to nurture a shared sense of national identity and to develop common citizenship. And later, in the 2000s, immigrants of colour were given the responsibility to actively integrate themselves into Canadian mainstream society. So rather than preserve each ethnic culture, government funds were allocated to ensure minority groups became more Canadian. So at this point, I'd like to introduce a, a very brief personal perspective, which will add some uh, insight into this topic. And I'm actually fascinated by this topic because it offers a, an insight into various competing factors which make up our own personal identity, whether that's from a socio-cultural point of view or our ethnic background or how we identify with a sense of national identity. And having grown up in the UK, multicultural, multiculturalism was seen by many commentators at the time as a breath of fresh air following successive race riots in major conurbations such as uh, Brixton in London. And during the later 1970s and early 1980s, it was seen as a genuine attempt to foster a sense of national cohesiveness and a much needed sense of community healing. And while any national policy involving ethnic and race relations will always have its detractors, 
it was largely seen as a success stories until the period of the early 2000s when the spectre of racial tensions once again emerged following a spate of race riots in the north of England. And once again, the calls for multiculturalism as a, a policy initiative uh, were, were called for it to be scrapped. I also attended what was at the time the first multi multicultural school in my home city of Coventry. And given that the school was located in a crime hotspot, it was seen as an attempt by social planners to foster better community relations. And it also served as a base for social outreach. So all in all, it was viewed with great optimism as a pioneering social project. And having spent a total of five years at this particular school, I can honestly say that it had the most profound negative effect on my personal outlook in terms of how I viewed myself as an individual, a member of an ethnic minority, and my broader outlook in terms of a sense of community and national identity. And in short, the school aimed to propagate ideals of diversity, racial equality, harmony, and mutual respect. But the reality was somewhat wider the mark, and, and I came away with a, a deeply entrenched view of ethnocentricity and a clear self-isolation in terms of national identity. And the main reasons for this was because the school had a highly skewed proportion of ethnic minorities uh, in the total population. And this led to the formation of ethnic enclaves within the school system itself and also outside the school environment. And then moving forward, when, when I moved to Toronto with my family in 2010, I, again, I experienced the uh, similar effects of ethnic ghettoization, but on a slightly different level. But my point in very brief is that each scenario is different and, of course, each person's experience is different. And it's also true that multiculturalism means different things to different people. But what I can say is that the idea of ethnic coalescing is a real phenomenon, no matter where a person is in the world. And this is the idea that people would naturally gravitate depending on their situation or their experience, towards other individuals of their own race or ethnic social background. And this process is based on the premise of social boundaries which define and maintain power structures. And this is something we'll discuss in the upcoming piece in relation to what's commonly um, discussed in, in uh, academic circles and in the press as white coalescing during the 1960s. But the interesting thing is that we also see a, 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 um, a large proportion or um, a lot of evidence of ethnic coalescing in the mid-1980s as multiculturalism was rolled out as an official state policy in Canada. So I'll begin with a short introduction, then I'll hand over to Navsi who will talk about the social origins of multiculturalism in Canada. So let's start with a a quick demographic context to this topic of multiculturalism. In recent decades, Canada has become something of an exception to the rule among the world's top immigrant receiving countries. And it's managed to withstand many economic and political challenges which have undermined support for immigration in other advanced countries, including recession and the, the threat of terrorism. And according to recent surveys, the consensus around 
Canada's immigration system has remained largely positive because Canadians generally view immigration as beneficial to both the economy and society at large. And according to a public opinion poll carried out before the last federal election in 2019, just over half of Canadians back Canada's immigration target and believe that more newcomers should be welcomed. And this was based on a Angus Reid institution poll. So this broad outlook on Canadian immigration has been built around a clear narrative of economic benefits and a well-established history of immigration. For instance, permanent residents admitted for economic reasons comprised approximately 60% of all admissions to Canada over the past five years. And this is based on figures from CIC, uh, Immigration and Citizenship Canada. And, and these figures are also consistent with Canada's uh, position in terms of geography. It's uh, generally isolated from global conflicts or hotspots of extreme poverty. And this approach, which prioritizes skilled economic settlers, has, has kept its selection system immune from mass arrivals or large-scale unauthorized flows of immigrants. Uh, as was witnessed throughout Europe in 2015. And furthermore, the, the diversity of immigrants arriving in Canada can be sourced to approximately 200 countries, which has reversed the concept of the immigrant as being linked to purely one ethnic or racial or religious group. And what this done is it's allowed Canada to support a policy of multiculturalism, which recognizes cultural differences as part of a broad national identity. And similarly, major political parties have maintained positive views of, about immigration policies in Canada as, as they compete for the, the vote for, of newcomers. And key factors which have underpinned the comparative success of Canada's immigration model include the following. Firstly, a, a macro approach to immigration, which means that multiple levels of government and society have a say in the immigration system. Secondly, Canada's immigration system has been devolved at national level, which means provincial governments and employers are given a large contribution in certain areas of decision making. And thirdly, Canada has so far managed to avoid the highly charged security concerns which have plagued European countries in their own models of multiculturalism. And, and thereby, the, what, what Canada has uh, managed to do is minimize the toxic messages which surround the immigration debate. And fourthly, Canada has implemented prudent selection policies with a careful review and regulation of immigration flows based on selecting newcomers solely on their potential in terms of their economic benefits and what they can offer to Canadian society. And the fifth point is that Canadian model has been able to adapt to policy requirements from unintended outcomes. For instance, Canadian policies on temporary work visas have been adjusted on many occasions in the past in response to reports of abuse and lack of enforcement. So let's carry on with a, a brief background to multiculturalism. 
over the past few decades, Canada has received a much larger share of immigrants than other destination countries in the Western Hemisphere. And overall, since the mid-1980s, it's admitted on average one quarter of a million permanent residents per year. And this represents approximately 0.7% of the national population. So the political project of multiculturalism is largely intact in Canada, despite the decline that we've seen elsewhere in European countries. But that said, it's, it's worth mentioning at this point that Canada also has a long history of prejudice and discrimination, largely from its uh, uh, colonial background. And, and for instance, uh, we can just cite a few examples. The treatment of indigenous people by the early European settlers, the colonial attitudes of French and British settlers based on Anglo-Saxon racial heritage. And this marked... This was marked by a, a deep-rooted conflict between Canada's English and French-speaking populations. Also, we have the experiences of black, Chinese, Japanese and Southeast Asians in the early 19th century and early 20th century, culminating in the imposition of the head tax targeting Chinese settlers, which was actually repealed later on. And... There's also the uh, incidence of uh, Japanese internment during the Second World War, also widespread anti-Semitism in Quebec, but also historical wrongs committed by successive Canadian governments in the form of residential schools designed as an apparatus for wholesale assimilation of indigenous people, the last of which were closed during the mid-1990s. So now that we have some background to multiculturalism, how was the multicultural route adopted in Canada? The process of multiculturalism officially began in the early 1970s when Canada accelerated its policy to attract suitable immigrants. But this time the model of immigration had shifted from being a tool to build a white settler nation to one that would address fundamental demographic problems such as a declining fertility rate. And by fulfilling the economy's needs as it approached the new millennium, Asian immigrants, uh, especially from Southeast Asia, were seen as an integral part of this policy shift. And this time period coincided with an emerging trend across Western countries towards the increased recognition and accommodation of diversity through a range of multicultural policies. And although these policies were initially designed to solve labor market issues, they were endorsed at domestic and international levels and essentially rejected ideas of homogenous nationhood based on solely one dominant race. And multiculturalism was promoted as a social condition present in every platform of life. And cultural diversity represented an opportunity to also educate younger generations on the benefits of different cultures, uh, thereby promoting peace and tolerance. And, and the argument was that nations or ethnic groups were not superior to one another, but instead through their diversity and through different cultures, they shared common goals and values. However, Canada stands out as a clear outlier to other Western countries because 
it's gone to great lengths to forge a new brand of immigration by creating a country often referred to in the past as a mosaic of peoples and cultures. And Canada remains the only country where equality is constitutionally protected by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which was passed in 1982. And subsequently, the Canadian Multiculturalism Act was passed in 1988, which confirms the Canadian government's commitment to multiculturalism. And overall, Canada's policy of multiculturalism specifies the promotion and recognition of diversity in Canada, the participation of individuals in Canadian society, the respect for inclusivity, equal treatment and appreciation of diverse cultures. Also, the freedom of all members of Canadian society to preserve, enhance and share their cultural heritage. So the main point from this legislation is that different cultural groups have to be accommodated and, and therefore assimilated within Canadian society to work towards a, a much larger nation-building project. And the Canadian Multiculturalism Act allows the Canadian government to actively integrate visible minorities and new immigrants. And the main difference between Canada's uh, version of multiculturalism and the way it's practiced elsewhere is that Canada offers citizenship with benefits such as health care and social insurance. Also, the Canadian government actively promotes the integration of newcomers at a personal and state level. And interestingly, state integration improves representation within large-scale institutions such as the government or the police or the armed forces. However, during the mid-1990s, we saw a process of reaction and retreat from multiculturalism in Canada and a reassertion of ideas of nation-building, common values and national identity. And, and this coincided with the, the referendum for sovereignty in Quebec. And this retreat from multiculturalism is mainly driven by fears by majority groups that diversity in Canada has gone too far and it's threatening an original way of life. And one such view is held by the author Richard Day, whose book Multiculturalism and the History of Canadian Diversity, published in 2000, challenges the notion that Canada is indeed a country of equal and peacefully coexisting identities. And he actually questions the very foundations of Canadian diversity, arguing that no amount of state intervention through policy initiatives can ever bring an end to ethno-cultural tensions. And he argues that Canada's multicultural policies are promoted by a fantasy of unity based on the nation-state model. And the legislation, the policies and the practices don't represent equality or mutual cooperation, but they stem from an Anglophile drive to manage and manipulate the concept of diversity for solely political purpose. And and he questions whether real progress has actually been made in a, in a post-colonial age. And firstly, from this analysis by day, it helps us to re-examine our own understanding of the term multiculturalism. So, for instance, does multiculturalism refer to a social phenomenon in which a number of different cultures exist within a country through, through their sheer physical presence? Uh, 
such as economic migrants or uh, illegal nationals. So in other words, are we describing a pure sociological fact relating to a diverse population? Secondly, by defining multiculturalism in terms of cultural and racial diversity, does it then become a social ideal yet to be attained through ideals such as freedom, democracy or equality? Or is it the case that diversity is being represented as a problem which needs to be solved from the viewpoint of changing demographics, such as Canadians being reminded that the country is heavily reliant on immigration? So in order to answer these questions, we can now examine the origins of multiculturalism in Canada. And at this point, I'll hand over to Navsi, who will take you through this piece. Uh, thank you, Navem. I'm going to start with the origins of uh, multiculturalism in India, uh, in Canada, sorry. Uh, as an official policy, Canadian multiculturalism can trace its roots to the period after the Second World War and a number of social phenomena which led to its gradual development. There are four major events during the post war period in Canada, which led to the initiation of multiculturalism policy in Canada. And uh, I'm going to uh, discuss them in detail. So the first major event was state reaction to social events and political threats to the collective national identity and uh, not an act of uh, benevolence for, from the state. At the turn of the 20th century, the colonial state responded to various perceived internal and external threats with the short-term policies and laws. These policies included the growing presence of ab Aboriginal people, Chinese and Japanese laborers. These makeshift policies governed the mobility of the Aboriginal uh, population and the restricted Chinese immigrant population. We've already mentioned that the Chinese Immigration Act of 1923, which uh, prohibited almost all Chinese immigrants from coming to Canada and was uh, reversed only in 1947. Also, um, all residential schools continued to operate until the 1990s, which um, the last federal-run res uh, residential school was actually closed in 1996. Multicultural uh, policies arising uh, in the 1960s and 70s can be seen as a reaction by the state in response to the changing national population and being confronted with the new demographics of the country and a sense um, of state frustration at the symbolic order ebbing away. This brings us to the second major event, the significance of John George Diefenbecker as Prime Minister of Canada in the past uh, post-World uh, War period. John Diefenbecker was elected to the office from 1957 to 1962 and came from German and Scottish descent. He was the first Canadian Prime Minister to be neither English or French, but was very clear on bringing Canadians of all ethnic cultures, cultural and racial uh, backgrounds together. When he said very famously, I am the first prime minister of the country of neither altogether English or French origin. I'm very happy to be able to say that in the House of Commons today in my party, we have members of Italian, Dutch, German, Scandinavian, Chinese and Ukrainian origin, and they're all Canadians. He was the first Canadian prime minister to appoint a First Nations Senate member in 1958. 
under his administration, uh, Aboriginal, uh, Ab Aboriginal people of Canada were uh, enfranchised in 1960, and the act alone embodied the political presence of uh, cultural groups in Canada during that period. It was his openness about his ethnic background, um, which is not being purely French or English, which uh, promoted the acceptance that Canadians can aspire to something other than founding nation archetypes. His tenure as prime minister aired the notion of uni unity and diversity in the post-war period, and his role was crucial in uh, normalizing the Canadian citizens to being something other in the public eye. Now, the third major event is the changing demographic of immigration after the Second World War. The huge rise in immigration uh, coming from European countries other than the United Kingdom and France was another phenomenon which hugely affected Canadian diversity. During the 1950s, the immigration population of Canada was largely from Britain and France due to displaced citizens looking for new opportuni opportunities across the Atlantic. During the 1960s, the top 10 source, source countries for immigration to Canada included Britain, United States, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, Greece, Austria, France, Portugal, and Yugoslavia. This shift in the immigration pattern coincided with the decline of the British Empire after World War I, which symbolized an opportune moment for Canada to create its own unique identity as a nation. It was also during the 1960s uh, that Canadian intellectuals and federal politicians began to foresee a crisis in natural and cultural unity. The calls for Canada to shed its British colonial identity and to distinguish itself from the United States became increasingly stronger. And in 1965, Canada officially adopted the maple leaf design as the nation's flag, which uh, represented a clear assertion of its own nationhood and therefore the issue of diversity could no longer be ignored. The uptick in immigration led to rise in the importance of ethnicity beginning in the 1950s, especially because newcomers naturally gravitated to their culture of origin. The policies of multiculturalism, which were in the early stages of development, were aimed at addressing the heightened awareness of diversity that came with immigration to Canada. The multicultural policies primarily focused on cultural practices and ethnocultural diversity rather than on race. This was because the arriving immigrants were mainly from Europe and there was a natural identification, identification with witnesses as a cultural uh, practice. Uh, we're coming up to a short break. Uh, much to more co to come in the next segment. See you shortly. Please stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Great to have your company. Now, coming back to what we, where we left in the last segment, uh, where we were discussing the changing demographic of immigration after the Second World War, I'm just going to pick up from where I left. So, the multiculturalist policy primarily focused on cultural practices, practices ethno-cultural diversity rather than on race. This was because the arriving immigrants were mainly from Europe and they were, there was a natural identification with whiteness as a cultural practice. In other words, a blend of whiteness was being promoted in Canada and although many arriving Europeans were viewed as non Uh, founding nationwide or non-ideal white, they were still considered to be a preferred race when compared to immigration and laborers from Asia and Africa. Under this scenario, multiculturalism was employed to differentiate between whiteness and European culture. Hence, the emphasis during the early immigration period was to preserve cultural practices such as song and dance of cultures in an effort to avoid race and racial differences. Now, the fourth major event was that the the Canadian government's response to the independence movement in Quebec. The independence movement prompted questions about not only the status of the French in Canada, but also the status of other ethnic minorities in relation to the French. The independence movement in Quebec triggered the creation of the Royal Commission of Bilingualism and Biculturalism in 1963. And this led to a greater aware of an ethnic conscience among the non-British or non-French ethnic groups. The same ethnic groups contemplated for the first time their own situation to that of the wider French collective. One recommendation of the Royal Commission, the Official Languages Act, which was passed in 1969. This act recognized that equal status of both English and French language in all federal institutions. Interestingly, the act's objective had a huge impact on Quebec's uh, independence movement and ultimately multiculturalism policy. This multiculturalism policy was partly a response to the anxieties raised by the non-British and non-French ethnocultural groups in relation to the themes of biculturalism, a two-nation society, charter groups, and founding people. Once its objectives was to symbolically, one of its main objectives was to symbolically state that Canadian society was open to all cultural identities and essentially in it recognized them all as equal. Therefore, Canadian multiculturalism was a state policy 
initiated by a reaction to the political climate at that time and did and it did not materialize from state goodwill or any form of human perspective human, human uh, perspective multiculturalism was a state intervention to accelerate the integration of of cultural groups into the new canadian order later on uh, the 19 in the 1970s and 1980s the influx of immigrants of color in canada once again focused attention and discussion on the effects of race in canada due to the subsequent change in patterns of immigrant demographics from european to non-european countries this then redirected the focus of ethnic uh, differentiation on the basis of color rather than culture or language this renewed focus on ethnic diversity diversity stirred the multiculturalism argument towards the acceptance of uh, visible minorities by society and the participation of these groups in its institutions however the overarching concept of white society is still deeply embedded within the canadian national identity the independence movement prompted questions about not only the status of the french in canada but also the status of other eth- ethnic minority in relation to the french the uh, independence movement in quebec triggered the creation of the royal commission on bilingualism and biculturalism in 1963 and this led to a greater awareness of ethnic consciousness among the non-british and non-french ethnic groups the same ethnic groups contemplated for the first time their own situation One recommendation of the Royal Commission was the Official Languages Act which was passed in 1969. Now this act recognizes or recognized the equal status of both um, English and French languages in all federal institutions. Interestingly, the act's objective had a huge impact on Quebec's independence movement and ultimately multiculturalism policy. The multi multiculturalism policy was partly a response to the anxieties raised by the non-british and non-french uh, groups and one of its objective was to symbolically state that canadian society was open to all cultural identities and essentially it rec- recognized everyone as equal therefore canadian multiculturalism was a state policy initi- initiated by a reaction to the socio political climate it was a state intervention to accelerate the integration of ethno cultural groups into the new canadian order later on during the 1970s and 80s the presence of immigrants of color in canada once again focused attention on discussion on the effects of race in canada due to subsequent change in pattern of immigrant demographics from european to non european countries this redirected um, the focus on ethnic ethnic differentiation and uh, it was more on the basis of color uh, than cultural language this renewed focus on ethnic diversity steered the multiculturalism arguments towards the accept the acceptance of visible minorities by society and the participation of these groups in all the institutions however the overarching concept of white society is still deeply embedded within the canadian national I- identity now this brings us to what does the existing model of multiculturalism look like from a global perspective um, canada is considered to be the intellectual home of multicultural citizenship because any contemporary discussions from a 
practical or theoretical viewpoint will draw heavily on the Canadian model of multiculturalism. In 1971, Canada became the first country in the world to announce multiculturalism as an official state policy. In November of 2002, the government of Canada declared, ju declared June 27 as Canadian Multiculturalism Day, an opportunity to celebrate the country's diversity and the commitment to equality, fairness and mutual respect. The Canadian government is keen to promote its uh, federal policies of multiculturalism as a global achievement in contrast to less successful examples elsewhere. Although public support for Canadian multiculturalism dwindled in the first half of the 1990s, mainly due to the Quebec's referendum in 1995, it rose sharply um, in the early 2000s and, and reached unprecedented uh, reach unprecedented heights after the financial crisis of 2008. Canada was the only advanced economy post-crisis which did not experience a major banking crisis and emerged unharmed from economic downtown which crippled many Western countries during this period. The perception promoted by the government of Canada was a resilient and vibrant nation empowered by immigration, thus creating a unique brand of multiculturalism, which later became known as Brand Canada under the uh, present Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This successful model based on a multi-talented immigrant society with uh, many different voices and various forms of cultural expression helped to launch the image of Canada in uh, 2010 as an intellectual and economic power in the world arena. As a result, Canadians are encouraged to celebrate and honor this unique model of diversity through their unity and harmonious relationships. Brand Canada is keen to distinguish itself from the American melting pot model by arguing that the concept of multiculturalism remains a core ingredient of national identity. Indeed, the acceptance of multiculturalism and the careful regulation of immigration continues to be seen by Canadians as an important symbol of their country's values. Hence, most surveys and polls uh, continue to show that Canadians believe immigration to be good for the economy and it is bene beneficial for its long-term prosperity. At this point, I'll um, hand back to Nav M, who will begin shortly with the critique of the Canadian multicultural model. Thank you, Navsi. So before we analyze the model which underpins Canadian multiculturalism, let's tr try to understand some of the finer points and details. So just going over some, uh, some of the previous material, it was Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau who introduced multicultural legislation in 1971. And it then became enshrined in Section 27 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in 1982. And it was six years later in 1988 that the Multiculturalism Act was passed. And the design and purpose of this landmark legislation can be traced to Trudeau's political battles against the Quebec nationalists, who saw it as an attempt to dilute their claims to sovereignty. And Trudeau's response was to define the argument in terms of the broader issue of identity and nationhood. So Canadian nationhood had to mean something beyond separate 
English-speaking and French-speaking nations. But if Canada was aiming to be a mosaic of nations rather than a binary nation, then what would it consist of? And Trudeau's answer to this was uh, the concept of pan-Canadianism by arguing, and I quote, all Canadians, regardless of mother tongue, ethnicity, region of residence or social class were to have a common sense of what it meant to be Canadian. And the multicultural route was purposely designed by Trudeau with social activ activism in mind by pursuing an agenda of social equality. And this was aimed at helping cultural groups grow and contribute to Canadian society. Also to assist minority groups in overcoming cultural barriers to be able to participate fully in Canadian society and to also promote intergroup relations and provide facilities to minority groups for language learning. But by introducing multiculturalism, Trudeau argued, and I quote from one of his speeches, that there is no such thing as a model or ideal Canadian. What could be more absurd than the concept of an all-Canadian boy or girl? A society which emphasizes uniformity is one which creates tolerance, intolerance and hate. What the world should be seeking and what we in Canada must continue to cherish are not concepts of uniformity, but human values, compassion, love and understanding. Our standards in all activities should be one of excellence, but our routes to its achievement may be as numerous as there are Canadians who pursue it. So there are a few key points to take away from Trudeau's speech because it helps to shed light on the contemporary view of multiculturalism. And firstly, it's marked, his speech is marked by a clear anti-American tone and statements of abstract nationhood. And we can see the contracts between the all-Canadian concept, which it doesn't actually exist, and he compares this to the all-American, which is pervasive and all uh, and ever-present. And he argues that Canadian values promote diversity and, and, and this contrast with the American society, which, according to Trudeau, emphasizes uniformity, intolerance and hate. However, despite Trudeau's strong tone of anti-Americanism and the embrace of diversity, he fails to provide a clear definition of, of what Canadian identity actually is because he, he states that there is no such thing as a model or ideal Canadian. And the identity he refers to consists of abstract qualities using terms such as compassion, love and understanding. So let's... Uh, begin our critique of the existing Canadian model of cult multiculturalism as a, as a public policy. So from the previous piece, we can see that the architects of Canadian multiculturalism were liberals in their classic sense and their viewpoint of world politics and the economy centered on negotiating between various immigrant groups and national minorities in order to achieve a fully functioning liberal state. And this view of liberal democratic principles was based on three basic themes. And the first theme was the goal of Canada's multicultural policy is integration or assimilation by accepting someone's difference. 
And this is achieved through nation building and the protection of minority rights. In other words, the, the legitimate claims of minority groups are merged together and presented as part of the overall nation building project. The second theme in the <clears throat> overall concept of multiculturalism is the acknowledgement that liberal culturalism has worked efficiently throughout modern Canada. And the third theme is that the, the set of criteria used to evaluate multiculturalism leads to positive outcomes, such as an avoidance of violence or militant tendencies, and rather a propensity towards peace and a healthy functioning democracy. So let's critique each of those above underlying assumptions. So the first one is, we look at this concept, what is the meaning of culture and how does it apply to Canadian society? So Canada's brand of multiculturalism rests heavily on liberal values of freedom, equality, economic prosperity and democracy. And this includes civil and political rights, but should also accommodate the unique needs of ethno-cultural groups. And in the Canadian context, legislation argues for the integration of immigrant groups, but without promoting extreme forms of separatism or minority nationalism in existing society. And this is a key point to understand because the assumption is that, that there is an, there's already a base culture, a base Canadian culture into which immigrant groups simply integrate. But the culture being referred to is, is actually derived from Canada's colonial legacy. And it represents a, an unrealistic or incompatible expectation for, for newcomers. And this institutional structure in Canada basically developed over time and, and is derived mainly uh, from the experience of the British Empire and from the government down to school systems. So therefore, it's, it's impossible to look at Canada's history without avoiding the colonial legacies which come with it, such as the systematic erasure of Aboriginal people or the historical social injustices that we discussed earlier in the piece. So we can ask by integrating members of immigrant groups within mainstream institutions of society, is the state not asking immigrants and newcomers to become more complicit in an ongoing colonial project? And through the process of assimilation and attainment of citizen status, are newcomers to Canada contributing in a way to further erode Aboriginal values? And how can the liberal idea of pan-nationalism that, that Trudeau referred to and its association with a multicultural society truly separate itself from Canada's colonial past? And does the policy of multiculturalism actually lead to diversification? So the second critique is that the new model of multiculturalism avoids any mention of race or racial discussion. And we know that Canada's largest minority group are the French Canadians. And the Quebecers actively resist integration into mainstream society by arguing for language rights in government institutions and for French to be the sole language in schools. And they also favor a system of pure French-speaking immigrants to Quebec. 
But on the other hand, visible minority groups fully accept that they have to be in, integrated into mainstream society. And we know that in Canada, visible minorities are defined as persons other than Aboriginals who are non-Caucasian or non-white in colour. And on this basis, we can see there's a real danger that by mentioning minority groups, what we're actually doing is referring to any non-white ethno-cultural group, which could easily belong to third or fourth generations of non-white Canadians. And then we have to ask, why is it that certain members of minority groups are classed as racialized Canadians? Is it because white Canadians, i.e. non-English, non-French, are expected to easily assimilate into the Canadian context? For instance, a second-generation Italian-Canadian can easily substitute as a Canadian, but somehow a racial qualifier is always applied when referring to a Chinese-Canadian, or sometimes it's referred to as a Canadian of Chinese descent. So by ignoring race from multiculturalism, this leads to a natural focus and a shift towards culture. And it's almost as if racism becomes legitimized through cultural differences within communities. And so by classifying race in the form of words such as immigrant, refugee or alien, racism becomes covert and it's difficult to pin down by those who are actually affected by it. And it works in a very insidious way in the background. And what we see is that overt forms of racism, such as the Chinese head tax, they became relegated to the past as something from Canada's shameful history. But the focus on culture and a diverse society constantly feeds into this modern image of Canada as an ideal model of benevolence and tolerance as a fair and humane society. So in effect, Canada becomes an idealized working model of multiculturalism, expressing liberal values. And the third critique is that what are the criteria used for measuring success of immigrant multiculturalism and, and this ongoing nation building project? So can the success of immigrants in Canada be measured solely through a criteria of values such as peace, democracy, personal freedom, economic prosperity and intergroup equality. So although Canada has been spared the violence and militancy of homegrown terrorism, which has plagued other Western countries, this definition of violence does not include non-physical violence. And let, let's take a quick look at two examples. So firstly, the state imposed internment in, and evacuation of Japanese Canadians during the 1940s and many psychologists have reported that trauma acts as a form of mental or non-physical violence and it has a intergenerational effect by creating trauma through a recurring cycle. And the, the effects of internment cannot be viewed as one linear event but as a process of historical trauma. And the second uh, example of trauma exists in the form of separation and, and, the, and the unification of families such as Canada's temporary foreign workers program and specifically we're referring to the, the live-in care program which has been described as a form of violence on the caregivers family and many domestic workers arrive in Canada as individual workers under a temporary work visa program and they're only later admitted as immigrants. And what this does is it, 
and especially in the case of nannies and caregivers that come from the Philippines, they're actually separated from their children both geographically and emotionally while they're caring for another person's family. And separating mothers from children is highly disruptive and it sets into motion a series of dislocating events. And these examples shed light uh, on the myth of benevolent multiculturalism by focusing on the violence exerted on racialized bodies and uh, on a, through a non-physical process. And basically it can't be classed as over racism and but thereby undermines the notion that Canadian multiculturalism deals with ethnic diversity in a peaceful manner. So let's start looking at um, a analysis of what we've discussed. And so we've, dis we've discussed a critique and we know that the, the cultural diversity of Canada's population has been a, a major advantage in terms of globalization, the processes such as human and financial capital. And it should also be pointed out that the Canadian government continuously works with provincial and territorial governments to help strengthen institutions and build safer and more supportive communities. And overall, the Canadian Multiculturalism Act is an ambitious piece of legislation that hasn't been repeated anywhere else in the world. And it allows the government of Canada to recognize and respect different cultures that make up Canadian society. The legislation also recognizes the value to society of human respect and dignity common to each citizen. And we also know that Canada is enhancing its multicultural network by expanding its anti-racism activities and thereby strengthening its support for all minority groups. And although Canada has a long tradition of accommodation and Canadians are generally supportive of diversity, still there are many challenges which remain and, and these include persistent prejudice and discrimination that remain a reality for many minority groups. So let's now wrap up with some, uh, some conclusions. In, in an earlier section, we demonstrated that the policy of Canadian multiculturalism didn't arise from the benevolence of the state, as is commonly presumed in Canadian discourse, but it was instead a state intervention responding to the socio-political demands of the time. And we've all identified the three major critiques. And despite the various interpretations of Canadian multiculturalism, our view is that the legislation is essentially a policy for managing ethnic and cultural diversity. And it was designed purely for uh, the state apparatus to create a policy whereby it was not a societal phenomenon in Canada. And the relationship between multiculturalism and national identity is evident when we consider that the majority of Canadians identify strongly with multiculturalism and also value it as a national characteristic. And although Canada's policy of multiculturalism is aimed at promoting social cohesion by accommodating distinct groups within society, the irony is that by allowing individuals to celebrate and maintain cultural identity, it actually perpetuates inequalities by reinforcing racial exclusions and hierarchical differences. And many authors agree with this view. For instance, Bisundath in 1994, in his book, Selling Illusions, the Cult of Multiculturalism in Canada, put forward harsh critiques of multiculturalism as a destructive ide ideology that leads to the ghettoization of those different from the mainstream. And he argues that the multiculturalism 
process promotes a sense of separatism among immigrants and the the longer the policy continues the higher the cultural barriers remain and instead of fostering inclusiveness Canadian multiculturalism marginalizes culture and cultural difference so that's all we have time for in this episode uh, many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company. To contact us, go online at gmc-radio.com and you can send your feedback on any of the issues discussed by emailing us at info at gmc-radio.com. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.